This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The wonder of change. For every season is intended to lead into a new one. Boy, I'm glad we don't get stuck in winter. And that winter leads to spring. Now, there is part of me that wants to say, but I wish spring wouldn't go anywhere. <laughs> but spring leads into summer. Summer leads into fall. And if you live in a four-season climate like we do, you gain appreciation for that, that each season is a setup for another one. And it causes you to cherish what was behind you. Like when you leave winter into spring, there's part of you, especially those that love skiing, that are always sort of like, oh, but you know it's coming again. And change is a wonderful thing. How many, I, I, my life is so full of change. We have students that come in and then we have to say goodbye to them. And it's painful, but I'm glad it's painful. Isn't that a funny statement? I've said that for years. I'm glad it's painful to say goodbye to those students. Otherwise, I'd sort of wonder about the quality of what we were doing. You know, if I'm like, good riddance, then you know it's not good. If my children are leaving home and they're going on some mission trip, I'm like, whew, boy, glad to have them out of the house. I have to wonder about what I'm doing in my home. Does that make sense? And so I'm glad that change is hard. When God brings about new movement in our life, actually I think it should be difficult at a certain level. And that's good. Because if it's not, then you sort of wonder about what quality you have been cooking up before that. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This is that Greek word metamorpho, which is transformed. It is where we get the word metamorphosis. It is a transformation, it is a change, and it's good. The Spirit of God brings about change. Change, is it a good thing or a bad thing? That's a tough question to answer. Here's the answer. Well, that depends on which sort of change it is. Is it a shift away from life or a shift towards life? You see, when the Spirit of God is bringing about change, He doesn't just bring about change because change is good and change is needed. He's always bringing us forward. He's bringing us into deeper depths. He's not bringing us away from life. He's bringing us more into it. And there's all sorts of change that you could make in your life which would kill you. And so... It depends on which sort of change we're talking about. Change itself is neutral. There's no good or bad to it. It depends on what sort of change it is. So a review of what our church is walking through. I don't even know how to describe what our church is walking through. I'm sure you're like, oh, fascinating. I'd like to hear a review of that. One of the things you're going to notice is that it's not very easy to even describe what our church is walking through other than to say, well, we're removing stakes. Remember last week, we talked about removing the stakes. That's, that was the name of the message. And we were talking about a young sapling. That when it's first planted, it needs to develop a root system. It needs to oftentimes be wrapped with that special tree wrap to preserve it from blights and diseases and infections that young trees are especially vulnerable to. It's typically called discipleship. 
And when that root system is established, when that maturity is gained in the tree, do you know that it's actually harmful to the tree to keep the stakes there? You see, a, a tree is meant not to be just propped up by stakes, but to be able to face winds by itself. And that actually strengthens it at a deeper level. When a tree is young, it needs extra help. Otherwise, it's going to be uprooted. Because its root system cannot yet handle the winds that are going to come gusting against it. But when that tree actually has proven the fact that it is mature enough, it's actually good for those stakes to be removed. Because then the wind will blow against it and it has to prove its root system. And it actually stirred, it makes it more sturdy than it ever could be with stakes. And you take that tree wrap off because now it's ready to endure blights and diseases and infections and grow its immune system as opposed to have a protection for its immune system. It's actually part of what is necessary for the tree growth is to remove stakes. You follow me? That, this is a review. So I, I'm setting you up. This whole four weeks that we're walking through, you'll notice in your notes it says part two of four. Uh-huh. There's four. And we're walking through this very purposely and probably creating all sorts of question marks in your head. That's okay. We're going to try and answer those questions. But I'm also looking at it spiritually. I want you to grow as a church as we walk through this and not just hear data and information. <clears throat> but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. One of the number one things you could pray for our leadership right now we know where we're headed, but we're not exactly sure how exactly to get there. It's sort of like having this, this canyon with, you know, it goes down 300 feet and there's like a little river at the bottom. And we know that we're going over to the other side of the canyon, but we're like, so, so how do we cross this? We know we're supposed to get there. We know that's where we're going. And God has this wry sense of humor. He's like, huh, you guys are running into a little impasse there, are you? They're like, yeah, but, you know, so we're supposed to go over there, God. It's clear. So where's the bridge? Where do we cross? Do we run and jump? Do we, you know, maybe there's like a vine, like a Tarzan vine, you know, that we swing across on. We're looking for that right now. We're seeking wisdom. And God loves to bring us to those types of situations in our life. But what's interesting is we have nine pastors that are all staring at the same thing, would all come to the same conclusion. We know where we're going, but it's hard because, and if you've asked any of them this past week, it's like, okay, come on, give me the lowdown. Where, what are we talking about here? You'll notice that you'll get a similar answer that you're getting from me. Well, we know where we're going and I can tell you details about that, but there's certain things we're not exactly, that we don't have them hammered out yet. We need wisdom. God promises to give us that wisdom. So I want you to join with us in praying and asking that God would lead us specifically across this because what's over here is good. This isn't like a bad chasm. It's like God's, you know, well, obviously, Eric, if there's a chasm, you should turn around. Don't go in this direction. No. I mean, when you're led to a Red Sea, it doesn't mean that you went the wrong way. Just because you come up to an impossibility, you've got mountains on both sides of you and a terrifying army coming against you, does not mean you disobeyed. It does not mean you're headed in the wrong direction. In fact, God loves to set us up for such situations because what does it do? It tests and proves us. That's where we're at. We know where we're supposed to go. We just are not exactly sure how we get there from here. That's quite the name to stick up on the screen. Joshua Harris. How many of you know who Joshua Harris is? Okay, there's a few of you that don't. 
In a time when I'm speaking about change, it's an interesting name to have come up. I've been associated intimately, Leslie and I have intimately with the name Joshua Harris for years. Uh, both of our books spiked and hit the bestseller list way back in the 90s. We were both the speakers on the topic of relationships, sexuality, uh, and Josh Harris has had a public meltdown. He was a pastor who has now not just walked away or I could say kissed his marriage goodbye, but he's kissing his relationship with Christ goodbye. And so in a time like this, I'm going to give a very distinct picture. There is change, and Josh Harris is going through it, and then there's change that we're going through. And the two are not the same. One is away from life, the other is towards life. We are headed towards life. One of the things that I need wisdom for, and I've been mapping it out, I know I sent an email to, I have a father-son group in here, I sent the email out to forewarn them that I'm doing something this week. I'm actually launching, uh, it's going to probably be five, but right now I have written four different key blog entries. It's called Eric Ludi Responds to Joshua Harris, and Eric needs wisdom for this. And uh, so that's just on the side, but just know, Josh Harris is not headed in a healthy direction right now. And the reason we are going through change is not because of a Josh Harris-like meltdown. Okay, I just want that to be clear in the midst of us as a church that we're not in the midst of some moral breakdown, some disintegration of value. We actually are very strong in where we're at and we are purposeful in moving it forward towards greater life, not less. Leaven. If I were to ask you about yeast in scripture, and if I were to say, is it a good thing or a bad thing? That's an interesting question. Because most of us are going to default to, oh, leaven of the Pharisees, the yeast of the Pharisees, that's bad stuff. Mm -hmm. But did you know that Jesus Christ also uses the word leaven in a positive way too? You see, leaven is a change agent. It's that which changes and influences you. There's the leaven of the kingdom of heaven, which is supposed to enter into your life and change you. And then there's the leaven of the Pharisees. If that gets a hold of you, you're a goner. So the word is zume, leaven, that which is small and yet thoroughly pervades another thing and changes it. That which changes everything that receives it. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And look at this. In a parable, and another parable, he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like zume. It's like leaven. Which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Well, who, you know, don't stick that inside of you. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. When it enters inside of us, it changes us. It alters the way we live. Change, in and of itself, is a good thing. But the devil has a version of it too. And so we need to make sure that we're in agreement with God's version of change. Leaven. There is something very good and something very bad that wants to change your life. Choosing to change God's style. So here's some good words for change in the kingdom of heaven. Repent. That's, that's a, a change word, by the way. Change your direction, change your thinking, change your leaven. Oh, I know, I've been hanging out with the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That was a bad idea. Now I'm going to go to the leaven of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's a change. It's called repentance. Receive. Change your Savior. Switch out your object of trust. I've oftentimes said 
that true repentance and receiving or uh, repenting and believing as we would oftentimes articulate it is that you're holding on to something. You have a grip, but your grip is being occupied. It is occupied with something other than Jesus Christ. And so he wants to hand you a handful of jewels and you're holding on to a handful of sand. So he says, uh, could you let go of that? Uh, and you're like, what? what? You want me to let go? You want me to give up? Yeah, I do. You need to change what you are gripping. And so you repent of your sand so that you can receive the jewels. God has something better for you, but you have to agree with him. And that's change. Respond. Change your priorities. Change your motive. Change your purpose. Resist. Change your footing. Change your position. Change your attitude. You guys have probably seen the illustration. If you ever went through Ellerslie and you were a guy, I always give this illustration. I have a guy in the front row stand up. And I go, could, could one of you stand up? This poor guy says yes, and he stands up. And then I come up to him and shove him. And he goes back into his seat, and he's like horrified. He's like, what was that? And I go, why'd you fall backwards? What? You just shoved me. And, and I said, oh, that's true. Uh, and, and, and I said, well, why, why would you fall back? Well, you didn't tell me you were going to shove me. You know? and, and I said, okay, stand up. Let's do this again, which they're usually a little uh, jaundiced-eyed towards. And so I have them stand up. And I said, now, before I shove you, I'm going to tell you something. I'm about to shove you. Now, what are you going to do different? It's interesting. But the moment they recognize this and how all these things work, they change their position. You see, if you know something is going to hit you, it's weird. But you change. And they will get into a wrestling stance. I mean, it's just predictable. I don't need to teach them a wrestling stance. They just know if they're going to get shoved, they better get into a better position. And sure enough, then I come up to them and shove them, and they don't move anywhere. And then they feel really good about that. (laughs) Renounce. Change your relationship with your previous slave master. Run. Change your power source. Change your level of exertion. See, many of us are sitting. When God says, get up, run. He says, there's a big difference between sitting and running in your spiritual life. And so if you've been sitting, move. Move. The Hebrew language and the Greek language are both based on verbs. They're verb roots that are are the basis of the entire language. Isn't that interesting that the Bible itself is based on verbs? It's action. Do not just be a hearer, be a doer. And so these are all changed things. The doctrine of change. Introducing the the two key elements of change is very important. God does not change. Isn't that funny that here I am saying change is good, change is good, and God doesn't do it. You, that's, that's important to note, though, in the concept of change, that God doesn't change. He is the I am, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In God is no shadow of turning. That's extremely important in our understanding of faith and God. So why is it that he seeks to change us then? Because he's making us likened unto himself. So he is making us more and more like him. He does not change, but he changes us. How can you tell bad change from good change? Bad change. I'll give you some changes that the Bible describes too. Backsliding, sinning, rebelling, disobeying, strain, leaving, miscarrying, aborting. These are all concepts that take something that's moving in one direction and changes it dramatically. Okay, so these are things that the devil desires to work in our spiritual life. He desires to miscarry the work of grace in us. Where something is forming, there's a truth. You ever had it where you have an idea, you know what God's speaking to you? You're like, 
I got it, God. I'm going to head in this direction. And then something happens in your life which causes you to turn from it and forsake it. It says in the Proverbs, a strong man retains his riches. When you're entrusted with something, God intends you to move it forward, not to lose it. And so that's bad change. You don't want to go in that direction. You don't want the devil to get away with this nonsense in your life. So we have good change. Improving, refining, pruning, cleansing, washing, progressing, maturing. Good change. Remember the prodigal? Remember that guy? Uh, The prodigal had a change in his life. And the first one was really bad. Bad change. Leaving, sinning, digressing. In other words, he's in the house... Oh, what are you doing, buddy? You're leaving? Yeah, he was changing. He was headed in the wrong direction. And then guess what? There's another picture of change in that story. Good change. Remembering, repenting, and returning. Bad change? Good change. The entire while, God remains unchanged. So the father in that story is interesting because he never moves. And this is a great picture of us. Is we are more prone to the prodigal life. And so if we find that we are living with the pigs, what should we do? We should change. Okay, but not the bad change, the good change. The reality of change in my life. There are things in my life that should never change. So as I recognize how God builds a life, there are certain things I've landed on. That first line is extremely important. There are things in my life that should never change. So here I am talking about how change is good and God's always changing us and changes from glory to glory. However, that entire while, there are certain things that shouldn't just go up and down and all around. Number two, there are things in my life that must change or I will wither up and die. And number three, there are things in my life that will change and will prove my character and will prove my trust in an unchanging God when they do change. They're just... This is how life works, guys. However, if you don't have line number one, and you don't realize that there are things in life that should never change, boy, you're not going to have rock beneath your feet when winds and rains start beating against you. Because when you go through some of these other dimensions, especially line three, and you face change that is not necessarily of your choice, but seems to be of the providence of God in your life, when you face those types of changes, those types of trials, those types of difficulties that are altering your life. Not because you signed up for and said, I'd like to go in that direction. It's that your life seems to be serving them up. Your circumstances are bringing it about. How do you handle that? Because that's when you are proven. Because you need to be in the midst of that change, that third line item change, number one must be proven true. You do not change where you get your source of life from, your source of confidence from. You do not change where your faith is placed. You do not change what you believe. Throughout all of that change in life, you have a center, you have a rock that you are fixed on. The illustration of ministry. So I'm going to go through those three things and I'm going to flesh them out to just give you a little more clarity. There are things in my life that should never change. For for instance, I awaken every day with a singular eye to seek out people on this earth and to share with them the truth, the love, truth, and grace of Jesus Christ. That's just an illustration in ministry. In other words, I wake up in the morning, and guess what? My life is not my own. I've been given something. I've been entrusted with something. All right? I want to give it. That shouldn't change. There shouldn't be like a season in my life where I'm just selfish, and then the other seasons where, oh, I think about others. I should think about others. Forever and always. I'm a Christian. 
right? How about two? There are things in my life that must change or I will wither up and die. I must heed the Holy Spirit's conviction and give up my selfish ways. Cease my sinful propensities and close off the door to darkness. Long and short, I must be sanctified. I must enter into the agreement with God to say, God, take me forward. There's nothing more dangerous in a Christian life than the doctrine of instant sanctification. Where you are perfected and there's no more need of God's working on your life. So everything you do now is fine. You know, people actually believe that, by the way. People actually believe that when you come to Christ, it's done. And you can say, well, that sounds scriptural, doesn't it? Well, it does. It is finished. Yeah, well, that sounds scriptural. However, though his work of redemption is finished, it is finished in heaven. There's now a real work that needs to take place in you. You believe in Christ. You are clothed in his finished work. And underneath that clothing, the Holy Spirit's like, all right, let's get to work. And he wants to change you, metamorpho you into his glory. And that doesn't happen overnight. And if we could all raise our hands and say amen to that. It is a process of change. Just like a seed doesn't instantaneously become a full-grown plant. There's a process of maturing. That is the system of God's creation. He says first there is an infancy. And then there is a growth unto full maturity. The same thing is true in the kingdom of heaven. Number three, there are things in my life that will change and will prove my character and will prove my trust in an unchanging God when they do change. Things will not go as planned. Resistance will come. Hindrances will rise up. Persecution will emerge. Money that was there will suddenly not be there. And where I thought I was headed will not prove to be where I'm headed. But it is these precise challenges that prove me to be fixed to my unchanging God. You see, number, when number three hits... It tests number one. Are you going to change your foundation? Are you going to despair in God when life serves up challenge? And you see, if you embrace all three, if you embrace, if I could say it, the doctrine of change, and you allow it to be wondrous, you allow it to be beautiful, you recognize that God does turn all things for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Because in the moment, it doesn't look like a positive thing when you're backed up to the Red Sea. And you've got mountains on both sides, and you've got the most powerful military force in the world coming against you with venomous, hostile intent. It says, Josephus is right, it says that the, the people of Israel actually picked up stones to stone Moses. Look what you led us into. We have the tendency to do the same thing to God in those moments. But, as it speaks of Moses, it says that he despised the dangers. I love that statement. That's Josephus' statement. He despised the dangers. He, he considered it no better than madness to despair in the providence of God now. I love that. This is such an incredible thought pattern. Do you trust God in those darkest moments? Do you trust that even though you're led to a Red Sea, that God wants to test the first principle of change, and that is some things ought never to change. Who's in control of your life? Who is in control for all ten plagues? Who is in control? God was. All right, now we have an eleventh trial. Who's in control? Huh? Answer me that question. If you change your foundation, if you change your faith because of difficulty, God's in control. Then watch what he's going to do. You see, when faith remains unchanged and steady, it will witness the power and the miracle of God in this earth. 
It's when it waffles and it picks up stones and starts throwing them at the very God who is the deliverer and the savior that it will find rot in its life instead of life abundant. So there is bad change and there is good change. We will experience change and we need to embrace this subtlety of movement in our life and recognize that we must hold to a foundation throughout. Sanctification, the process of embracing the constant refinements of the working of the Spirit, the transforming, changing power of grace at work within those who love God, the Spirit of God making us likened unto Jesus, and since we are not like Jesus, He must change us. So how does this work in us as a body? It's an interesting thing because I think when most of us think of sanctification, we think of all these things, it's individual. And yet a lot of the illustrations in Scripture were corporate. Isn't that a fascinating statement? Like even what we see in Israel is we see a, sanctifi- a sanctifying of a people. We see 40 years in the backside of the wilderness so that a generation that is ready to serve the Lord can move forth. There is a shift. There is change. He would constantly have this cloud. And as long as the cloud remained where it was, they had to stay. But then when it picked up and moved, pick up. Hey, guys, let's pick up the tabernacle, pick up our tents. Let's go. We're going. Cloud moving. When the Spirit of God were to, was to move, and that's the picture of the Spirit of God, by the way. This is actually the same cloud that is going to move into the temple. And until you reach the fullness of Jesus Christ, that, that cloud's going to move. That cloud's going to move as long as you're still in tabernacle state. And we haven't gotten the permanent location. Well, guess what? You've got a cloud that's sort of moving around. And we're like, hey, hey, where's it going now? And it's going to lead you precisely where you need to go. The question is, are you going to get so satisfied with where you've been? It's like, I like it here. You know, I got my little sandcastle over here in the, in the wilderness. You know, I got uh, some rock climbing over here. I got some good stuff. And God's like, I'd like to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I like it here. If you're not willing to progress, you will not find the fullness of what God intends for your life. The story of change in my life. The burden. So we're going to go way back in the day. Okay, and my, my whole life is change, and yet... What I'm going to show you is though, though my life is full of change, everything that I set out to do, all the way back to 1993, I have something written down, and you're going to recognize, this guy's still doing the same thing. That's right, there's certain things that ought not to change in my life. So I have a burden to impart the true undiluted gospel that Paul preached to the world, to disciple eager Christians in the life of utter givenness to Jesus Christ. So here's what I wrote in 1993 in my journal. I have a vision for the generations after me. They need to know the cross of Christ, the saving grace of our precious Jesus, the undiluted gospel that Paul preached, and the standard of holy living. To this end, I will labor that the gospel of Christ may not be diluted, that the cross of Christ may retain its offense, and that those that God wills for me to disciple may carry this employment unto future generations. So, if you were to measure my life against that statement, you'd recognize, huh, yeah, that is sort of what moves Eric now. Yeah, it is. And yet, between 1993 and 2019, whoa, we got a lot of change. Well, I mean, the amount of change in me, I had it figured out. Imagine that, you know, where that camera is right there in the middle of the room. is like, okay, God, I see it. I'm going to go from here to here. And instead, it's like, all right, what, 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 why, why would I go that way? Why, why, why would I go that way? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, this circuitous route that he's taken me on, and guess what? I'm still aimed in the same direction. How I get there is different than I would have guessed. There's a lot quicker way, God, between here and there. Have you ever had that thought in your life too? It's like, God, I know where you're taking me. 
Ouais.
How can you change? If you don't speak on this, then the truth will be lost. You are the only ones who can reach this generation on this topic. Talk about an interesting tactic. Is that the devil's tactic? Is that God's tactic? You know how hard this was? Every single thing I've done has been met with this funny resistance and complaint. Whenever there's change, it's uncomfortable. And there's all, when I'm speaking on relationships, everyone's complaining about what I'm speaking. And then when I'm not speaking, everyone's saying, well, who's going to speak on it then? The countless iterations, the many lessons of growth. How do you take an individual life and train it in the power of gospel living? How do you teach a hungry student precept upon precept and build within them an understanding of the life of grace? Change, 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 change. Individual settings, group settings. How big of a group is too big? How big of a group is too small? Fix this, fix that. Hosted in our living room, hosted in a church, hosted in a neutral location. You host in a living room, you have intimacy, but people don't treat it as epic. It's weird. You host it in a huge event, like an arena, Everyone treats it as epic, but no one is reached individually at the same level. And so we started, it's like, okay, what if we do 12? Jesus said 12. We do 12, and there were tremendous benefits of that. Then if we do 12,000, there's tremendous benefits in that. Well, God, which way is the way to disciple? 12,000 is not the way. And so small group became the focus, but how small? And one of the things if the leadership of Ellerslie knows very, very well, if the group is too small... Then everyone looks around and goes, this must not be important if only this many people are here. And if it's too big, they get lost in the numbers. Okay, so what's our number? Where, where do we land in this? Uh, in neutral location. It's funny. When I would speak around the nation, it's like, yeah, the more neutral of a location you can pick, the more people will show up. Because if it's in that Baptist church, these guys aren't coming. If it's in this vineyard church over here, 80% of your audience isn't coming. Isn't that weird? It's, it was because of the division in the church. It's like, okay, strategically, if I'm a war general, how do I want to come in and do this? And so it's constant iteration, constant change. God, how do we do this so that it really works? The ache. These students need to know how significant this is. They need to see its importance. Big step. We go after the Bible College campus in Windsor, Colorado on Southwood Lane. You guys ever been there? The complaints. That's impossible. Yeah. You guys have always heard this. Okay. Every single step forward is like, well, you shouldn't do that. Oh, that's a bad idea. That's impossible. There is no way that you can afford that. That was the truth. The plan is untenable. The countless iterations. How do you choose the staff? What sort of staff fits this work? How many staff do we need? How long should the training be? How much should the training cost? How many times a year should the training be offered? In what order should the truths be presented? If you were to study Ellerslie first semester and Ellerslie 10 years later, you're going to find that we teach the exact same things. But the way that we present it has changed a thousand micro times in the process. We're being sanctified. What we do is being sanctified. It's what God does. And it's okay. Do we wish we hadn't changed as much? Yep. Yeah, we do. There's certain changes that we made which might have been too early. There's, two, there's certain changes that weren't communicated very well. And so you could ask us, so did you handle that perfectly? No. No, no, we didn't. However, guess what? Our hearts haven't changed. Our message hasn't changed. You say, well, in life, you, you don't always do it perfectly, but you do expect the change. The complaints, that's too expensive. That's too short of a training period. That's too long. I can't come. It doesn't matter how you set it up. There's complaints about the way you set it up. 
The countless iterations, add two more semesters, change the semester from 10 weeks to nine weeks, add a year-long advanced training, change the advanced training to seven weeks, add a two-year practicum program, nix that, add a one-year practicum program, nix that, shrink the practicum program down to 12 weeks, combine the basic training, the advanced training, all into one 12-week training and offer them all simultaneously three times a year. Hold it. I think there's even a better way to do this. Now, many of you have been on that ride. So what I want you to see is what was written in 1993. There's some things that ought not to change. But there's some things that need to change. And there's some things that will change. I have a vision for the generations after me. They need to know the cross of Christ, the saving grace of our precious Jesus, the undiluted gospel that Paul preached and the standard of holy living. To this end, I will labor that the gospel of Christ may not be diluted, that the cross of Christ may retain its offense, and that those that God wills for me to disciple may carry this employment unto future generations. Review. There are things in our lives that should never change. One of the things that is so difficult with the Joshua Harris thing for me personally is that what is changing in his life are the things that should never change. And that's what affects us as the body of Christ. When a, it's not just a Christian, but a pastor. And it's not just a pastor, but it's a very public pastor that has taken very strong stands in the past has a meltdown in his faith, a meltdown in his marriage, it affects us. And here's what I would say, and it should, because it is not right. There is something in that change that is deeply disturbing to us because there are things in our lives that should never change. There are things in our lives that must change or we will wither up and die. And there are things in our lives that will change and will prove our character and trust in an unchanging God when they do. The story of change in this church. So I'm going to walk through this really quick. This is not an in-depth study of it or a story of it, but at least any more than the story of Ellerslie's training was an in-depth one. It's just a survey, a a 50,000-foot overview. The challenge, we love the sermons, but we don't feel a part of what is happening here. Do you guys remember those days? Uh, You know, there's, oh, Eric, I want to hear these sermons. This is great, but you have a student church here, and there's like a glass wall between us and them. We don't feel involved in this. The local church has needs that the executive team cannot meet with all that is already on their plate with Ellerslie training. Boy, I I felt that because we didn't intend to build a local church here. And so when we started, we had all this need locally. And yet, if any of you have ever studied my life, what I do for big Ellerslie is so full (laughs) My life is so full. I've had seasons where I've said no to every outside meeting. Someone comes into town, it's like, could I meet with Eric? No. Why not? Because if he says yes to that, he has to say no to his students. He has to say no to his walk with God. He has to say no to his wife. He has to say no to his children. In other words, I can't do it all. So when we started to grow as a local church, there was a need for change. Because I can't actually handle local pastoring responsibilities at the same time do what I'm already doing. So the change, let's raise up some godly men in the church who can serve as pastoring elders and help carry the weights of local shepherding. The challenge, the pastoring elders can't possibly meet the practical and logistical needs of the local body. Isn't it funny? This body doesn't seem that big, right? And yet the need, especially since we have a whole bunch of pastors that aren't full-time, and they're like, okay, I can throw in this much time. It becomes increasingly more and more challenging. The more we try and cultivate a local church, it's like there's a lot that's needed. 
So the change, let's raise up some godly men in the church who can serve as deacons and help the pastor and elders carry the weights of leading a church. The challenge, the local body has gifts to contribute. Is there any way that the church body can participate more in the services and utilize their unique gifts to edify the congregation? Really good questions. The change, more and more opportunities opening up for practical involvement. That's exactly what we've been going through over the past couple of years. There's more and more. Now we could look at what still is limiting, but at the same time, if you were to look at it over the past couple of years, you say, huh, you know, we have actually moved forward a great degree in regards to that. The challenge, we have so many deacons and elder, deacon and elder-ready men in this church. We need to give them opportunity to rise up and lead, teach, preach, and do the work of the church. Trees need to be unstaked. The change. Welcome to the present moment. We have something very, very special in this church, and that is in a lot of churches... When you look at Paul's tests of elder readiness, of deacon readiness in his pastoral epistles, you're going to come to the conclusion in most churches, like, okay, great, scratch head. What are we going to do here? Because we don't really have men that fit this. And so what you have to do is sort of squint when you look at the guy. And you're like, okay, though you're still addicted to pornography and you have serious issues in your marriage and your family life, we need you. Okay, you're really good in business and you're a good communicator. So can you sort of function as a a pastor here, an elder here, or a deacon here? And by the way, that's not healthy. But I, I can understand in looking at churches, I've been in so many churches around the world, I actually recognize the crisis that this is. Because either you have no one that helps lead and govern the church, or you have someone who's not really fit for it. Here's what's interesting about our church. We probably have 20 to 30 men right now that are elder and deacon ready like they would pass the sniff test of scripture that's a huge statement for one church we have an extraordinary base of pastors okay nine and yet those pastors we have we're burgeoning with maturity and strength and yet we don't have outlet for that same strength it's like having a tree that is huge and strong and yet has stakes still on it It's like, are you going to let that tree grow and bear more fruit? Are you going to let it face the wind itself? You guys see the tension that we're dealing with? It's obvious that there is like this chasm and it says, we have a church that could actually begin to influence more of this culture. We could be using this strength even more effectively. How do we do it? And part of the challenge has to do not, not with me in the sense of like I'm holding it back, but because of my personality and my platform. It's just an awkward thing to know how to deal with because I speak to tens of thousands of people when I speak. And as a result, it's hard when you're dealing with a local church at the same time. How does this work? What do we do? When we pull up tent stakes, what does that look like? Well, that's the chasm. We know we're supposed to pull up the tent stakes. We know we're supposed to give our leadership more space and room to grow and to express what God is doing inside of them. Like a tree, we're like... All right, let's let the winds hit it. Let's let it grow stronger. Let's let it put down its roots even deeper. We feel it's ready for that. And that was last week's message. What this week's message is, is I want you to recognize that the things that matter are not changing. There are things that ought not to change. Those things are not changing. The very foundation of what we are gathering for is not altering in this change. There's things that must change. And this is one of those. 
This is something that we would be doing a disservice to this church if we didn't walk through this process, if that makes sense. In other words, it's unwise and unhealthy for us to see that something is ready to move forward and then to curtail it and hinder it just because it would create problems. It's like, how are we going to do that? I mean, I, I don't want to have to walk through complexities and conundrums. And so if we just sort of kept things the way they are, we wouldn't have to address how to get across this canyon. It'd be a lot easier. Why don't we just keep it the way it's been and then we won't have to answer all these questions. Or we can say we know where God wants us to go and we're going to start moving that way. Even though we can't answer all your questions in detail, we, we can say we feel as a leadership we're supposed to head in this direction. What is on the other side, we can't even define fully However, it would be less of the executive leadership, which is how this church started, by the way. The church started with that exact intent. Okay, the executive leadership is carrying everything right now. We need to displace that and delegate that to local pastors. And so now we continue to grow, and that's all we're doing is saying, okay, the reason for this originally when we were moving forward in this direction wasn't that the executive leadership would continue to hold this together. It's just that we know the church. We've been in this position the whole time. However, when there's maturity in the church, doesn't it make sense that we would allow that maturity to grow? That's the tension we have. So clarifying questions for Eric. When we had our pastoral meeting on Tuesday, we said, uh, let's head off some of the questions at the pass. Okay. So instead of in other words, there's a few questions in here that were not asked by someone in, in the church. Praise God. Uh, however, instead of even having them linger as possible questions that you may have but feel awkward to ask, we figured we'd at least answer those. So this isn't a Q&A time with Eric, but it's the beginnings of one. So you can begin to see at least an outline uh, of things. Is all this a creative cover for a problem between Ellerslie's training team and the local church pastors? Nope. What I've said is true. We have a great relationship as leadership, if you could say it, our executive leadership, which focuses mainly on the Ellerslie training, which is me, Nathan Johnson, Dan McConaughey. We have a great relationship with the pastors that we would understand as our local uh, pastor and elders. We have a great relationship. We've walked through this with grace. And it's been a beautiful season for us. The challenge actually isn't relational. It's not knowing exactly how we're doing it. That's our greatest challenge. It's not that we don't agree. It's that we haven't landed it. And for all of us, we would prefer just to have clear answers for all of you. That would, that's actually what we would want. And God's testing us and proving us through this change as well. And yet... This is not a creative cover for something. So I'm not sure what church background you have and if you're used to churches giving creative cover for things. But this is a genuine statement that our church leadership is ready to move forward. We as an executive leadership feel very strongly that it is. We as the executive leadership are welcoming to these notions too because for us, we have so much on our plate. And that it is very difficult for us to, in a healthy way, attend to both and well. And so actually to more formally give that clarity is important for us as well. So we're very welcoming to this. This isn't like the local pastor saying, hey, could you get out of the way so we can grow up? Nor is it us saying, hey, we're sick and tired of you. We're out of here. It is a process just like a parent with a child. When the child looks at the dad and says, dad, I think I'm ready. And the dad looks at the son and says, I think you are. It's a good thing. 
That's where we're at. Now the next question could be, so dad, what do I do now? And the dad says, I don't know. (laughs) So there's where we're at in the present tense. In light of Josh Harris's recent meltdown, should we be concerned that there is moral decline somewhere in the mix? Now, I probably already addressed this, but there isn't any moral decline. There isn't any questioning of our faith. There isn't any marriage on the rocks type of a thing. And so, the, for instance, imagine that it was Eric and Leslie. It's not like a creative cloak to say, what do we do with this? Uh, you know, so how about you guys just sort of subtly back out of your position and we'll call it change and it's a good thing and we'll put a positive spin on it there's nothing like that going on okay uh leslie and i are extremely healthy in our marriage and as far as i know all the other uh pastors in the troop are very healthy in their marriages we're we're living the life that you are expecting us to be living this is where we're at as a church so there's no creative cover the pals are, I thought about this afterwards. This is, and especially because there was a joke in the back. I remember Mike Coleman was standing back here. I couldn't see him. And uh, Matt Powell came up and I said, isn't it ironic that we were talking about transition right after the interview with you? And then uh, he's, he, I think he said something like, yeah, do you want to come to Nashville? And uh, we were, it was a joke, right? And I, I don't remember what I said, but it was one of the, it was just a joke. And I turned around and there was Mike Coleman looking at me like, uh-huh, so you are leaving. Uh, <laughs> So the irony of it, that here we are talking about a a family that's leaving the church to go to Nashville, and it's beautiful and it's healthy. There's nothing wrong with with that. It's a wonderful thing that is going on in in the Powell's life. But then I get up and I link. I don't know if you guys remember that. Last week I recognized it's like, it's interesting that we're talking about transition here, and then boom, I talk about pulling up stakes. I have no intention of leaving Windsor. I have only intention of being in your lives the same way I have, hopefully even greater, and hopefully the relationship only prospers to a greater degree. The fact that I don't know exactly what the relationship is going to look like with all, like for instance, Daily Thunder, we have church every morning of the week, guys. I mean, we literally have a service every day. We have prayer and worship with it. The amount of responsibility, I, I prepared, I don't know how many messages just this last week. We're talking like six messages just this last week that I prepared. And these are full messages like this one, okay? These are developed thoughts. That is a lot of preparation, okay? And even if you take out a Sunday morning service and say I didn't prepare it, well, now I had five. In other words, I didn't save a lot, but it helps a little. Does that make sense? So in this process, I don't feel I have to do everything. I don't want to be the one doing everything. I want to give opportunity where opportunity needs to be given. So, are you and Leslie going somewhere too? No. Uh, We do joke as a staff every now and then about a campus being available in New Zealand. Uh, But that doesn't have anything to do with this. That just happens to be with, it's like, this culture is very hard for what we do. And sometimes New Zealand just sounds very green. Especially when it's middle of July or early August here in uh, Windsor. But those are jokes, okay? And if you overhear one of those, just know that they're jokes, okay? Maybe we should change our joking strategy staff, okay? So because this is a very sensitive time. If you were removing the stakes, then what is your position going to be in and amongst us moving forward? I don't know. That, uh, I, I don't. And so as a result... It's hard to answer that, and that's one of the things across the chasm. And I could go into that, which we will, I think, in the upcoming weeks. There are certain complexities to answering that. There are certain things that would be obvious. It's sort of like, well, are you abandoning us? No. 
I, I have no intention of leaving the fellowship with you guys, of removing myself from relationship with you, just because my role in all of this may change. It's like if, if, the, if I was a missionary that went over to, uh, trying to think, we always pick uh, Timbuktu, but I don't even know where Timbuktu is. Albania, if I was a, that was a profound illustration there. If I was a missionary that went over to Albania, then it would be clear that I'm not leaving us in a sense of relationally. I'm, I'm just focused on a work that is an extension of what we're doing here. The challenge that we face is the proximity of what we're doing. Because most of you don't see what we carry right here. You know it's going on, but you don't see it. And as a result, it seems like, you know, if I went over here and was focused on Ellerslie, that I'm distancing myself, which is not the truth. And so how this is going to play out, I, I honestly don't know yet. And so that's part of what we will be discussing in the upcoming weeks. And you can be praying for us to have very clear wisdom in regards to what that looks like. Let's finish with this scripture. Philippians 3. Well, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus." Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if, anything, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Father, I ask that you would take us by the hand as a church, that you would walk us across this canyon supernaturally, that the integrity of the makeup and the knitting together of this body would not be hindered or marred in even the slightest way, but only strengthened. Lord, what you need to do, I pray and I ask that you would do it. And though we as a pastoral team are struggling to have full clarity to this, and we feel like we're looking at this through a glass dimly, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the full clarity. Just like the blind man who saw men as trees walking after the first touch. I pray that you would give us a second touch to this situation and that we would see clearly, fully, and thoroughly what you are doing. And Lord, may all of us choose to see the wonder of change instead of just the difficulty of it. Lord, may we not be intimidated by the unknowns, but may we rejoice in that which is known. You are faithful. You are true. You have not forsaken us. You will never leave us or forsake us. You are our refuge and our strength, the very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. 
Lord Jesus, we lean on you and we look to you right now. And we ask that you would hold us together as a church body for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.